Today I have a message especially for church members. Now, it can be applied to all people, and today I believe it will be, but it is especially pertinent today to those folks whose names are on church rolls. Now, let me start off this morning as we begin. I want to show you some statistics this morning. Listen to these. George Barna of the Barna Research Group, uh, he did a survey, and his report from that survey is that 50% of adult members of Protestant churches, non-Catholic churches, again, 50% of adult members of Protestant churches are lost. That was his finding. Bill Bright from Campus Crusade for Christ, he did his own research, and his research says that over 50% of Protestant church members, non-Catholic church members, are lost. Billy Graham reported, and he is reported as saying that he believed as high as 85% of church members in America, and that's his experience. He believes as high as 85% of church members in America are lost. A man named A.W. Tozer, he's a Christian theologian. He's also an author. Uh, he was a pastor. He said, and this is in the late 1960s, he said he believes 90% of church members are lost, and he believes it's evident in their worldly lifestyles. Now, here's a very recent one that's very scary to me. Uh, Tom Rainier, he's the president of Lifeway Christian Resources, he says this. He says 85% of church-going millennials, these are our youth, these are our young people, do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They are lost. Listen, these are people who are church members. These are people who are professing Christianity. And if you were to, to run up on them and ask them if they're a believer, they would tell you they are a believer. These are people who believe they are saved, and yet the truth is they will spend eternity separated from God in the reality of hell. And that's talking about church members. Folks, I want to tell you today that is staggering. Honestly, today that is sickening. And friends, for us that possess the gospel of Jesus Christ, those of us in the church, that is not acceptable today. Here is the problem. For whatever reason, and I could give you a bunch of reasons, these people have a misplaced trust. Now, I'm not telling you they do not have a trust. They have a trust. They believe in something or they believe in someone, but their trust is not evidently in our Savior, Jesus Christ. They have a misplaced trust. And for that, they are condemned as they sit in their sins. For that, they are out of fellowship right now with God. And the truth is they are lost. Now, here's the issue. It's a tough statement, but I'm going to make it. Here's the issue. Most of us in here today hearing this, most of us as we sit here today and we hear this, are going to agree. I believe that. I think most of us would, would wholeheartedly, totally agree with that. But here's the issue. Most of us in here this morning will think that it's talking about somebody else. Friends, the question today is this. Where is your trust placed? A better question, in whom is your trust placed this morning? Today, our message is entitled, The Peril of Self-Pride. The Peril 
of self-pride. We're in Luke chapter 18 today. We're going to continue moving along. We're going to look at verses 9 through 14. Luke chapter 18, today verses 9 through 14. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the reverence and the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Luke chapter 18, beginning here in the ninth verse. And it says this. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying to himself, God, I thank you I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. But he was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, and I'm thankful for today. On this day, as we, as we get up this morning, that our King, Jesus, is reigning today. I'm thankful today that, that you're faithful, that you're trustworthy. I'm thankful that you're in control today. We come, and I'm thankful that our salvation still stands in Jesus Christ today. I'm thankful that salvation and your grace is still offered to sinners today. I pray today as we begin to study your word that it would be truly a supernatural event. I believe that's what it is. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would teach us, that you would grip us, that some of us here that you would convict us and that we would be changed for having come in contact to your word, the truth of your word. I pray for some here today that I believe are lost. If those statistics, Lord, are true, that many of them are lost, I, I pray that today that the truth proclaimed and the drawing of your spirit, that today people will put their faith in Jesus to the glory of God the Father. We come now and I lay this all before you. I ask that you would bless it. I ask that you would move in it. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, we've got a lot to see this morning, so let's go very quickly back to our verses. Let's, let's start off here in verse 9. Verse 9 starts off, and it says this. He, talking about Jesus, he also told this parable. Now, if you remember last week, we looked at his parable to his disciples on prayer. Now, that was at the start of chapter 18. And remember the point to last week's parable is that we are, disciples are, to be persistent in prayer. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He is making that point. His disciples, his followers, are to be persistent in prayer. Now, we saw last week very specifically that we as Christians, we as disciples, we are to pray frequently and we are to pray fervently. 
And that, I believe, was the point to his parable last week. As disciples, we're to be persistent in prayer. That is an act of worship. That is an act of submission. As Christians, we are to pray frequently and we are to pray fervently. Well, on top of that parable, the verse tells us Jesus now adds another parable. He has been teaching in that parable. He now adds another parable. Listen to verse 9. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Last week, he talked to his parable was intended for his followers. Well, notice here, this week he has a different audience for his parable. The Bible says it's for some people who do these two things. First, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and then second, and viewed others with contempt. Now, last week he's talking to his followers. This week he has a different audience. This week it is these people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and who viewed others with contempt. Right off the bat this morning, see this. Last week his parable for his followers, it was a parable of direction. Well, this week to these people, it is a parable of correction. Last week, again, a parable of direction. This week, a parable of correction. Now, see what the issue is here. It says, number one, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous. This is the problem. This is the first problem. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Righteous is a judicial word. It would be used in the courts. And it means that they were called just or they were determined to be just or upright. Now what it truly means is they were, they were declared to be approved by God. And so these people trusted in themselves. They trusted that they were upright. They trusted that they would be declared just in themselves. In themselves they would be approved by God. Now what that means is this. They believed that when God looked at them because of who they were, because of the reputation they held, because of the deeds and the actions that they did, they believed when God looked at them, he declared that they were approved. That's the first issue. The second is that in doing that, they viewed others with contempt. The phrase there in the Greek to view others with contempt, it means that they counted them as nothing. It literally translates zero. They counted them as zeros. They gave them, they ascribed to them no value. And so these people, thinking because of who they were, because of their deeds and their actions and their religious reputations, they thought they were approved by God, but then they saw all other people as zeros, as worthless. Now, see the context here. I think this is very interesting. Stay with me. Some people, in fact, most people, believe but this is another parable on prayer. He teaches one parable on prayer, and here is a follow-up parable also 
on prayer. I do not think so. I do not think that's what's going on here. I think that Jesus introduces this parable from the preceding verses that he's teaching on prayer. Now, now see the picture here. He is, he is teaching his followers about prayer. And I think in the midst of having a serious conversation with his followers on prayer, in the midst of, of teaching his disciples on prayer, he sees these self-righteous people in the crowd. That's what I think happens. He's there and he's preaching on prayer. As he's preaching on prayer, he sees these people who are demeaning of others in the crowd. He sees these false people in the crowd. And I believe it bothers him so much that he says, and let me tell you another thing. And then he turned and he introduces this parable. Here's what I see. I believe in this religious crowd, Jesus sees false people. Jesus sees these evil people. And so I believe he has another parable now to teach them. Remember, it was Jesus who said that wolves would try to enter in and hide in the sheep. I think in the context here, Jesus is about to address some wolves that are sitting there in the sheep. Look at verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now see the picture that he is painting here. Get this. A Pharisee was a highly esteemed religious leader. Now, we hear the word of Pharisee, we have a negative connotation. In this day, they had a positive connotation. As far as the religious elitists of the day, these guys were it. They had the reputation. They were, they were known, if you were to ask around, they were known as godly men, as God-fearing men. These guys were known as law-keeping men. Well, a number of these Pharisees, as they had lived in the system, as they had moved through the system, a number of these Pharisees had figured out they could use this religious framework, they could use this religious system to promote themselves. And that's what they'd figured out. They could use this religious system to prosper themselves. And their status, their reputation was, was based upon their religiousness. And in this false piety, they believed that they were always better than everybody else. They believed they were always right. And so if they're always right, what I do is right. And evidently what you do must be wrong. And so everybody else is less than them. And because of that, they viewed everybody else with contempt. Let me tell you this this morning. That still holds true today. You watch people today. If you, if you watch how people interact and you watch how people conduct themselves, this holds true today. Listen, one of the main ways to lift yourself up, one of the main ways to promote yourself is to spend your time tearing other people down. And that's the same as it is today. There's people and they appear to be one way and they're esteemed to be one way and they're, they're held up here, but the way they promote themselves is by talking everybody else down. Well, that's what this guy, these guys do here. The Bible says the other man is a tax collector. Now, this was a Jewish man. Now, this is important. This is a Jewish man 
who had sold out to the Roman government to collect the Roman taxes from the Jewish people. Now see how messed up that is. Here's a Jewish person and he sells out to the Roman government and he's going to collect the Roman taxes from the Jewish people. Now they considered him a traitor. His people did. They considered him a cheater and a liar. A tax collector, they considered him a person of no character. He made a living off of his own people. That person had no character. The Jews actually considered him lower than a Gentile who they considered lower than a dog. Now that's how they see a tax collector. Very simply, they had no use for a tax collector. Now see the picture here. Two men, a Pharisee who is highly esteemed, especially in religious circles, a Pharisee and a tax collector go into the temple, the Bible says, to pray. Verses 11 and 12. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Now notice, this, this really is not a prayer. Now it sounds like a prayer. He tries to act like it's a prayer, but it's really not a prayer. He sounds like he's praying to God, but really all he's doing is promoting himself. This is really not a prayer. Now I think it's kind of funny here. Notice the, the language here. The Bible says the Pharisee stood and was praying to himself. Now, when we read that, he maybe he's praying to himself quietly. No, I believe he's actually praying to himself and he's praying to himself. This is not really a prayer at all. And he says this in his prayer to himself. He says, God, I thank you. Now listen to this. I thank you that I'm not like other people. It sounds like a good word, but he's actually putting people down as he builds himself up. I'm thankful, Lord, that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust people, adulterers, or even he sees the guy over there, even this tax collector. Really, when you hear that, it ought to make you just want to vomit. Here's a man full of arrogance, and his prayer is really this, God, I'm so glad that I'm so awesome. That's, that's basically his prayer. Notice again, he has these good words, but in his good words, he's, he's tearing somebody down. God, I'm so glad I'm so awesome, God. God, I'm so glad I'm not a liar, not a swindler, not a cheat, not like this dirtbag tax collector. God, I'm so glad I'm so awesome. Then he goes into his list of deeds. Now, it's interesting if he's praying to God, God would know his deeds. But he wants to recite his deeds back to God. I fast twice a week. Leviticus chapter 16, one other place as well, says they were only required to fast one time a year. So they're required to fast one time a year. And this guy says, I fast two times a week. And then he says, and I pray tithes on all that I get. And that is his prayer. Notice this. No grief over his guilt, he doesn't think he has any. No sadness over his sin, he doesn't think he's a sinner. 
No need for a savior because he's not addressing his sin. In his eyes, he needed no salvation. What is what is arrogant prayer really says is, God, I do not need your grace. God, I do not need your mercy. God, I do not need your son to come and die on a cross. God, I'm my own savior. Verse nine, I'm trusting in myself that I am righteous. Let me ask you this. Think God has sent a good person to hell? I hear that all the time. I, I was looking through my, my Bible and I'm a Bibles. Every time I preach a funeral, I read through those names of funerals and I've got lists and lists of funerals that I preach and, and most of the people say, oh, they were a good person. Or you go to the visitation, oh, they were a good person. You think God has sent a good person to hell? A lot of people don't think so. I want to tell you this. Number one, there's no good people, but you better believe it. See, that's not the criteria. You think God will send a law keeper to hell? If you keep all the rules, you think he'll send you to hell? Number one, there's no people that can keep all the law, but I want to tell you, brother, you better believe it. You think God will send a religious person? They say the name Jesus. They're always in the church. You think he would send a church member to hell? Brother, I want to tell you, it's going to be full of them. Pious and prideful. Fools who trust in themselves and their words and their deeds. And they need no need for a savior. Verse 13, it's gonna change. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's his prayer. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Listen to that again. It's very important. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his, he his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I'm going to go through that word by word. But it's in contrast to. Here's this guy and he trusted in himself for his own righteousness and this verse starts off and it always says, but in contrast to the tax collector, the despised man, the man with no reputation, the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. Now that last part in the Greek has a double negative in it. What it means is this, he would not do it. He refused to lift up his head. He refused to lift up his eyes. And praying there before a holy God, he cast his eyes down. But was beating his breast. The verb tense there is continual. It means that he was beating his breast and he kept on beating his chest. Now understand in this culture, to publicly beat your chest was a sign of intense mourning, not of anger. It was a sign of grief. It was a sign of mourning. It was a sign of a broken heart. It was a sign of great regret. And so we find this tax collector and he's standing before our holy God and his head is bowed in grief and he is mourning the sin that he had committed the death that he had secured, the relationship that he had broken, the judgment that he had incurred, 
the righteousness that he had squandered, the shame that he had brought, and now the consequence that he must pay. And understand, he stands there on this day, ruined in his sin. He stands there in this day in anguish. The Bible then says that he is saying, God. Listen, it's an appeal to God. His only hope is in God. He didn't have any hope in himself. If there's ever gonna be any relief, it's gonna be from God. And so he prays, God, be merciful to me. Merciful, the Greek word, listen to this, means appeasement, or get this, propitiation. That's what it means, appeasement or propitiation, propitiation for sin. Understand, he asked God to show him mercy by satisfying his anger, his wrath towards sin. Listen to me today. Do not miss this today. This parable is about a man who is begging for mercy, who is begging for propitiation, for relief from God's wrath for sin. And listen to me. How crazy is it that the parable rolls off the lips of our Savior who will go to the cross of Calvary, who will be stretched out and nailed to that cross and who will endure God's wrath towards sin that he might show us the mercy of God. Listen to me today. The the Savior is saying that a person who is caught in their sin and who truly sees their sin and who is sickened by their sin, that they will cry out for the mercy of a Savior. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Do not miss that simple article of speech there, the word thee. Notice, he doesn't say a sinner. He doesn't say one of many sinners. He doesn't try to diminish his sin by hiding in the sea of humanity. No, he says the sinner, the sinner who is loved by God, the sinner who was created by God, yet the sinner who rejected and rebelled and spurned the love of God, the sinner who brought shame upon the name of God, he says, I am the sinner. Notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't try to build himself up. He doesn't try to list his deeds as if there were some deeds that could save him. He doesn't begin to make promises. Oh, God, I'll do this and I'll do that. He doesn't tear others down. He pleads for a Savior. He pleads for the mercy of God. Verse 14, listen to Jesus. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself, actually lifts himself up, will be humbled. It means be brought low. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. The Bible says that there were two men who prayed. There were two men who returned home. But Jesus says only one man was justified. Back to that word justified. It means judicial approval. 
It refers to a legal standing. Now, understand there are only two standings before a judge. There's only two standings before God, and that is just and unjust. Just, right before God, and unjust, condemned before God. Just, no record of wrong that stands. Unjust, the record stands, and not only that, the record condemns. Before God, before the judge, there's only just and unjust. And the only way for the unjust to ever be justified, to ever be counted as just, is by the grace of God shown only through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says here, if you'll exalt yourself and if you'll declare there's no need in your life for a Savior, you're not going to find one, but one day you're going to be brought low. But Jesus says here, if you humble yourself and if grief over your sin, if you cry out for mercy, if you plead for a Savior in him, in Jesus, you'll be exalted. Literally, you'll be raised up. Hear me today. Listen to me. This is not really a lesson in prayer, not really. This is not really a lesson in humility, not really. It is a lesson in salvation. And I want you to hear me this morning. The good news is this. We have God's mercy and his name is Jesus and Jesus receives sinners and Jesus restores the sinful and those who've been brought low in their sin. God in his grace and the power of a risen and resurrected Savior lifts them high. Very simply the message is this. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. So the question is this, where's your trust? Are you trusting in a membership? Are you trusting in a reputation, a legacy of a family that's not gonna stand? It's only in the mercy of God displayed through our Savior, Jesus. Where's your trust? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come. I'm thankful for the mercy of God, not deserved, not earned, but in his grace shown to us through Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that as I stand against the laws, I stand against the measuring stick I can't reach or uphold, that your mercy makes all the difference, that Jesus still saves. Lord, I pray for some in this room today I pray for any here that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray that every road they're going to travel, is going to, they're going to know it's going to be a dead end. Every corner they turn around, there'll be another corner. But their hope alone is in Jesus Christ. In Jesus it is settled. And I pray today, whether they've heard this for the first time this morning, whether they've been here for 40 years, that today they would understand only a relationship in Jesus Christ saves. And today they would settle that matter. Lord, I am astounded at your grace and your mercy. Lord, I love you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I thank you for a salvation that I couldn't have ever earned because of your grace and mercy. We praise you. We worship you. I pray now that you would move in this time of invitation. I pray truly that those here without Christ would settle that today. We pray that the result would be you would be greatly glorified, that it would be to your glory. We love you, we praise you, we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.